Good evening. I'm glad that you're here tonight. Uh, this morning, and when it was pouring down rain, I thought, well, we won't have five people at church tonight, but we have a few more than that. And so I appreciate you braving the weather because I know it's supposed to continue to rain uh, this evening, but we're glad that you're here. I'm excited about tonight. I'm really excited about this summer uh, as we spend some time talking about faith. And uh, if, you've, if you've seen the handout for our little advertisement for this summer, uh, we're calling it More Precious Than Gold. And there's a passage of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 1 where Peter says, There's a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Our faith, a faith that's more precious than gold, what do we do with that faith? The Hebrew writer tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith. And so when it comes to our children, when it comes to our grandchildren, what does that look like? And how do we not only pass our faith down from one generation to another, but how do we also help encourage our children to see that their faith one day has to become their own faith? Okay, And that will make more sense tonight as we, as we kind of work through this. One of the things that we're excited about this evening, I've asked three families from our congregation to come and to share with us some insights that they have experienced and that they have seen as they've raised their own kids and now that they're raising uh, their grandkids. And so they're going to come up in just a moment and answer uh, or discuss a few questions that I've posed for them. But before we do that, I want to kind of show you some things, uh, some research that I've been looking at, and I've really, I've got more research that I could spend the next 13 weeks talking about, and so I want to get through this in about 10 or 15 minutes to save time uh, for our panel uh, folks to come up, and I know they're probably thinking, you can spend all you want to talking about it before we get up, and so um, I want to do that. I want to remind us briefly of some scriptures, and I want these scriptures to kind of be imprinted in our minds and in our hearts as some reminders about faith, reminders about children, reminders about our role as parents in that faith process. So from Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. Amen. Right, parents, grandparents? They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. I love that description. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. And then this scripture from Proverbs 22, 6, direct your children 
onto the right path. Or another version says, train up a child in the way he should go. Man, we've learned that from the beginning of time, haven't we? And that's been on our hearts and on our minds. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. That's something we pray for daily, isn't it? As parents, that our children can have that faith, develop that faith, own their faith, and they will continue on that faith journey uh, all their life. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Let me, let's skip down, Kim, one more slide. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Then another very popular one from Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Man, we've had fun with that verse all of our lives, haven't we? Okay, that, that's a great verse. Deuteronomy 6, one of my favorite passages uh, when it comes to the importance of faith, when it comes to the importance of our role as parents. I want to jump down to verse, uh, go down to verse 4, Kim. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road, when you are going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, we know those scriptures. We've heard those words of faith for many, many years. Now, I want to show you something. These are four different generations that I would say most churches have all of these in their congregations for the most part, okay? The millennials, that's the generation. Those are ages 30 and under, okay? And I'm going to go through this quick. I could give you years, but instead I'm going to save you time on the years and just, just give you the age brackets. So millennials, 30 and under. The Gen Xers are those ages 30 to age 48, okay? Boomers are ages 49 to 67. And then the elders, the elder group, and I didn't say elderly, but the elder group are those over 68, okay? Now, just real quick, I want to do a show of hands. All of those in the millennial age group, raise your hand. Okay, yeah, y'all can look around too. Raise them up high. Okay, those in the Gen Xers, raise your hand. Okay, the Boomers and the Elders. Okay, pretty good mix tonight of the four different generations. Now, I want you to keep 
all four of those generations in mind as we kind of work through some of this material tonight because here's the thing. We, we know this setting here tonight. Will a millennial see things from a faith perspective necessarily the same as those in the boomer group or those in the elders group? No, they will not. Okay, I mean, that's just the bottom line, all right? Now, I want to give you a couple of things, uh, some statistics uh, to show how those kind of fall into place. There's a group out for the last 31 years, the Barna Research Group. They are a, a research group that they go out and they will pick certain topics for a year and they will research those in all across the United States and, and other places. And so back in 2014, they did um, some surveys and they did some work on this topic, how Americans were divided on the importance of church, okay? And so back in 2014, they asked this question, what, if anything, helps Americans grow in their faith? And so when Barna Group asked that, people offered a variety of answers, okay? They said prayer and family or friends, reading the Bible, having children. But you know what? Church didn't even make the top ten list, okay? All those other things came to their mind before church did. And so I want to show you a couple of these, and then we'll move on uh, to the panel. Those that have attended church in the past week, when asked if they went to church in the past week, four in ten Americans say yes, while that number hasn't changed dramatically in the past decade, it has trended downward slightly. Okay, So the yellow group, that's the millennials, and you, you see how there's a little movement in there, but not much. And then the rest of them, uh, they've grouped as just all the Americans, okay? So keep that in your mind. Uh, let's move to the next slide. Those that have attended church in the past week, 59% of millennials who grew up in the church have dropped out at some point. Is that slide on there, Kim? No. Well, there we go, there we go right there. 59% of millennials who grew up in the church have dropped out at some point. Now, do they come back? Some do, some don't. Okay? Don't know the percentage there. They didn't they didn't give us that, but that is a that is an alarming rate right there uh, to keep in mind. Let's go to the next one. Why do you attend church? That question was posed. If you think it's important to attend church, chances are the main reason you go is to be closer to God. No matter their age, or background or denomination, the majority of people who value church cite as their top reason for going to church. And after that, people's motivations tend to vary. And so look at it, 43% to be closer to God. And then you've got all these different percents of from I've always attended church to the church is God's hands and feet into the world. Um, the Bible says to be with other believers. I need to learn about God, 38% said that. 11%, the church is God's hands and feet in the world. That's the millennials that said that. And 31% millennials said, I need to learn more about God. Let's go to the next slide. 
Why don't you attend church? Two main reasons. Number one, 40% say I find God elsewhere. 35% say church is not relevant to me personally. And so across the age and across different faith groups, those were the top two reasons that unchurched Americans said that they didn't think attending church was important and they were always the same. Those two answers remain the same uh, amongst that group. Let's go to the next one. That's it. Okay. So, it is obvious, and that's just, I mean, I didn't touch the, I didn't touch the hem of the garment, okay? That, those are just a few things to kind of whet our appetite to be thinking about that tonight and to be thinking about questions because I know as we go about raising our kids, raising your grandkids, are those questions on your mind a lot? Questions about faith and questions about God. And they're not necessarily questions of doubt as much as they're just, those are just questions and concerns that are always on our mind. Because, I mean, let's face it, we want those that we love the most, we want our kids and grandkids, we want them to always be close to God and always in a close relationship with other people. We pray for that for our kids on a daily basis, don't we? And sometimes, just because a different group, just because they see things a little differently, doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong, okay? And I think one of the challenges that we face in the church is this. We have to have more opportunities of dialogue like we're doing tonight. We have to have more opportunities where the different generations the four generations that I just named up there can come together face-to-face and talk about what faith looks like and talk about why this is important to me versus another generation saying, okay, but this is why it's important to me. And when those communications and those dialogues begin to happen, you know what we do? I think we begin to learn each other and we begin to see, you know, People really do have good motives, and people really do want to please God. It's just sometimes we go about it a little different. I want to show you a video right now. Some of you may have seen this video come across Facebook uh, this week. Uh, Marcelino showed it to me, and I, I just I loved it. I thought it was very encouraging. Uh, especially when it comes to parenting. And so I want, want us to watch this, and, uh, and then I'll get up and, and introduce the group. My mom would be at all my sporting events. Let's say I was playing football, okay? My mother would be on the sidelines, and if the play on the field started going one way, my mother would run along like, Mike, get him, get him! I'd be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'd get in the huddle with the other guys. they go, Mark, is that your mother? i go, no, I never saw her before in my life. <laughs> the greatest gift my mother ever gave me, she believed in me. I have overdosed on drugs on three occasions where I should have been dead. But I believe I was kept here for a reason. You show me your friends, I will show you your future. How do I know this? I hung out with losers and I became the biggest loser of them all because I gave up everything I dreamt about as a little boy because of who I chose surround myself with. My friends would drive me home at 2, 3, 4 in the morning. 
We'd be drunk and high, laughing in the car. We'd pull up in front of my house in New York. They go, Mark, Mark, the light's on. I go, oh, man, my mother's up. See, my mom wouldn't go to bed until she knew her son was still alive. I'd walk in, she'd say, hi, Mark, how was your night? I go, it was good, Mom, I'm just going to go to bed. She goes, can I, can I talk to you for a minute? I go, Mom, I'm tired. I'm just going to go to bed. She goes, Mark, I haven't seen you all day and all night. Can I please talk to you? I said, man, just leave me alone. You bug me. I'd slam my bedroom door on the one person who believed in me. I was on a worldwide tour and we were wrestling overseas in Japan. After my wrestling match, I went upstairs in my hotel room and I fell asleep. There was a knock at my door at 3 o'clock in the morning. I got out of bed and I looked through the safety window and I could see it was a Japanese promoter. So I opened the door and he said, Mark, you need to call home. There's been an emergency. I went and got on the hotel room phone. I called back to the United States and said, hey, what's going on? I said, Mark, I don't know how to tell you this. I said, just tell me what happened. All of a sudden they started crying. They go, Mark, I can't tell you. I said, just say it. I said, Mark, your mother died. I just threw the phone down. I ran out of my hotel room. I took the elevator to the lobby, and when the doors opened up, I just ran out into the street. I mean, there was no cars, there was no people. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. And I walked down the middle of a street in Hiroshima, Japan, and I remember looking up and just saying, Mom, I am so sorry. I flew home for her funeral, and I was so nervous to walk up to her casket, so I just stood way in the back. And I kept looking from a distance. I kept thinking to myself, Mom, please wake up. Please get up. And then I finally got the nerve to walk up to her. And as I got closer, I could see my mom for the first time. I mean, she was so beautiful. She, she was dressed in white. I mean, she looked like an angel. And I just stood over and I said, Mom, you are my hero. Everything I am, everything I hope to be was because of you. You loved me so much. You gave me a life. You're the only one that ever believed in me. How did I repay her? By getting drunk, by getting high, by getting stupid, by hanging out with losers? For what? All she ever wanted to do was talk to me. I wish I could talk to you now, Mom. I wish you could see what I'm doing. Why couldn't I have been a better son? We are defined by our choices. But if you surround yourself with people involved in drugs and alcohol and pills, it's a dead end. I'm not here to preach to you. I'm here to tell you I lived that life. It leads to broken hearts, broken relationships, broken dreams, and death. For what? To get high? If you have a mother or a father, when you go home, tell them how much you love them. See, my whole life was about being rich and famous. I had to be a millionaire. I had to win the race. I had to win the race the expense of my marriage, my family, my friends. For what? To be all alone in the world? I learned what is truly important, and that is how precious this gift of life is and our families and how quickly it can be taken away. See, I no longer live in time. I live in moments. See, it's not what's in your pocket that matters. It's what's in your heart 
that truly matters? Love, love is just a word until somebody comes along and gives it meaning. You, you're the meaning. Okay, this time I'm going to ask uh, our three families that we have chosen for the panel. I'm going to ask Gene and Ruth Ann Stallings if they'll make their way up, and um, Horace and Sue Johnson and Wayne and Becky Kirby, and uh, we'll kind of take some of these questions. I know that um, I know they don't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. It takes a lot of courage to do this and to get up here. And let's give them a hand for being up here and talking to us tonight. Um, I want to start, first of all, thank you all for, for being here. I want to start with um, Horace and Sue. And I'm just going to let y'all introduce yourselves and tell us whatever you want to about yourselves, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Well, we're, hello, we're <laughs> parasites. We just got up here in uh, August, late, late July and August. And we're here at this place because this fellowship has reached out to our son Lance Johnson and has helped him, some of you very intimately, uh, others of you have prayed and we're grateful. We have four sons, Lance is number three, and uh, how many grandchildren? Eleven. And one, and one great, one great, mm -hmm. and uh, we've got a little one that just got here, granddaughter out in California. And Sue and I have spent our lives in the field of education. Sue, elementary teacher and principal. I was secondary coach, assistant principal, administrator, both in public and private Christian schools. And so that's us. We're just glad to be here. Did you have something you want to say? Uh, well, Patrick, uh, I was talking to him briefly before, and he uh, just said, why don't you tell a little bit about what you all did about parenting? Um, uh, because I was the elementary principal at Grace Community School in Tyler, that was just kind of a natural that there were uh, over 500 kids in our elementary school, and so there were all these young families, and, and a lot of them, like Patrick had said, they had grown up in the church, had gone to college, and wandered away, and then they got married and had children, and, and then they began to realize God's claims on their life when they had children of their own, and they needed a little bit of help with some biblical parenting. And so for about 25 years, something like that, well, we got to work with young families and, and uh, uh, do parenting classes with them, and, which was great, and we love that. I am the only one up here that has three names. I, first, I am Ruth Ann Stallings, but I am better known as Jean's wife in the beginning, and then I became Johnny's mother. 
So I do not really have an identity, so I don't think I need to say too much tonight, Patrick. <laughs> uh, I, too, uh, have been in education. I started out teaching, and then Jean and I married, and I continued teaching a short time. And then we started having children, and then I went back to teaching, but then uh, decided that we needed, since we started having more children, I decided that we prob I probably needed to stay at home. So I would like to say that Jean and I both will be speaking from the viewpoint of grandparents. That's totally different from parenting. It's not as good. It's more fun. But you do not feel the responsibility to teach your grandchildren. And so I'm afraid I have become an indulgent grandmother. And I think that's what a lot of us do become. But uh, I'm going to tell one real quick short joke. One, it's not a joke. It's a true story the, about one grandchild. And this just shows how grandparents are not always as good as, as, as parents or as I feel that we were as parents. But I was riding with uh, in the car. I was driving and had just our little four-year-old grandson. He was either three or four, riding in the back seat. And he said, Gigi, how do horses breed? And so I thought, well, his, uh, we talk about animals breeding on the ranch all of the time. So I thought, well, and his daddy is a doctor, and, they ex and his mother explains everything to him. So I decided I would just, you know, answer his question. So I started talking, and then I got more and deeper into it and deeper into it. And uh, finally, at the very end, I said, uh, I just explained that, you know, that this was God's plan. This was always God's plan. And then he said, well, I just wanted to know if they breathe through their nose or through their mouth. So that was the first time I realized that I spoke too soon and I didn't give enough thought to the question that was asked me. Uh, Roseanne and I both grew up here in Paris and uh, she went to uh, East Texas. I went to Texas A&M. We were going to get married between my junior and senior year. And, uh, because I'd graduated. Ruthann graduated in three years, and, and uh, <clears throat> a little problem rose. I, I was elected captain of the football team, and Coach Bryant said the captain will live in the dorm. Well, I've got to make a decision. <laughs> Are we going to get married, or I'm going to live in the dorm and be the captain of the team? Well, the decision I made would be married right after the season was over. And so anyway, the last game was on Thursday, and we got married on Saturday. So uh, that, was as, that was as good as I could do. Uh, we've been married 59 years. Uh, we've got, uh, right now, we've got four children, had five, and we've got 10 grandchildren. And, uh, <clears throat> and we've got good children. There's no question about that. But I give credit for our having good children, really, to Ruth Ann. Uh, my job is well documented. Uh, I've traveled a lot. Uh, we played on, when I was pro coaching pro ball, we played on Sunday. Uh, I worried about working on Sunday. I worried about getting paid working on Sunday. Then it dawned on me, we pay our preacher. 
And if the preacher can get paid on Sunday, why can't a football coach get paid on Sunday? But anyway, we were gone quite a bit. And in college football, I was gone quite a bit. Uh, but our children always attended church on Sunday. Uh, getting five children ready uh, to go to Sunday school, Johnny, who had special needs, getting him ready uh, was a tremendous task, really, because I was gone most of the time. And uh, so anyway, uh, uh, Ruth Ann did a, a tremendous job of raising our children. And before I say anything one way or the other, I just want to make sure that we understand that. I'm Wayne, and this is my wife, Becky. Uh, we've been married 38 years. Um, I, was 14, uh, I was 16, and she was 14 when we married. Or not when we were married. Sorry, can't tell I'm nervous. <laughs> we've been married a long time. Uh, when we met, and uh, we met in church, uh, which was a blessing, especially for me, uh, because I was kind of a heathen going to church at the time. Um, we had three children. Um, Maji, who is 38, and, and Cliff, who is 31, and JC, who is 29. Wow, I did good on that. Um, we have uh, four grandchildren. Um, one that's uh, Jack and Kate uh, belong to Maji and Brandon, and then Cliff and Maggie um, have three month, almost three-month-old twins. Um, Becky also was... Uh, probably more instrumental in um, instilling faith in our children than I was. Um, I don't know uh, why that was. Uh, I truly had faith, but uh, uh, I always take the easy out and say it's a motherly thing. But uh, anyway, um, as Coach says, we have, uh, we have good children. Uh, they have their own faith. Um, that was <clears throat> that was one of my concerns when our children uh, went off to college. Um, Maji did not leave Paris. She went to RN school here in Paris. But when Cliff and JC left to go to Abilene Christian, Cliff left one year, and then the next year JC went. Uh, and it was a concern uh, how they would live out their faith away from us. Uh, and they did very well. Uh, very... Um, regular in attendance, very involved in uh, activities uh, at the church. They didn't uh, choose to go to the biggest church in town. They actually went to a little, ch little church outside Abilene um, and uh, did very well there. And it was very good for them uh, to be a part of that uh, congregation. Um, and, and, and Abilene Christian was a very good experience for them. Uh, I kind of fought that. Uh, because of selfish reasons, uh, because of the money aspect, uh, but very soon realized that was the best thing that could happen to them, to be um, around those Christian influences uh, at that school. Um, and the Bible, the deep study in the Bible, Cliff was lucky enough to be there four years, uh, so he got intense training in the Bible while he was there. Uh, J.C. chose to stay there one year and then went another direction, but uh, uh, the Christian schools were very good for them. Okay, I really wasn't planning to talk, but I didn't do the, the Christian training. 
Wayne lives a Christian life, so the kids saw that. I am the disciplinarian more than. He's the fun parent. I'm the mean one. So so that if that had anything to do with it, maybe. But he, as far as the Christian training, he had his part. I just beat him. I will tell a funny story about that beating. <laughs> a lot of y'all know Dion Melton, uh, who lived with us for almost four years. Um, he was a youth minister here, uh, decided to change professions. Um, I had a handicapped mother that I was needing some help with. We worked out a deal. Uh, Dion would live with us uh, and help me with mom. The first night Dion uh, came to stay with us, um, Becky, I think, was in the process of whipping both children at the same time his first night in our house. And she was a disciplinarian because even Dion had a curfew and was expected to live to it. it missed one night, but he heard about it. I appreciate the introductions there because I knew that some things would probably come out there that uh, with y'all's experiences and training and, and all of that, so I appreciate that. I want to get to some of the questions um, that, that I put there for y'all. How do you teach children and or grandchildren, however, whichever perspective you want to answer it, how do you teach children to love Christ? There's not a particular order, and we don't all have to go, so it's just open-ended to whoever wants to answer that. Mm -hmm. I, I think we, um, you know, if we, want, uh, if we want a child to be a good baseball player, uh, as fathers, uh, we, in, we just engulf them in everything that has to do with baseball. Uh, TV, going to games, uh, going to practice, getting out in the yard and playing ball with them and all that. And uh, to teach children, I think, to love Christ, they have to be surrounded by people who love Christ. Hmm. Um, at church, uh, their friends. Um, we almost always had a swimming pool at our house, and there was kind of a selfish reason other than being able to swim. If you have a swimming pool at your house, you know who your kids' friends are. And you have opportunity to make sure that they're around good children uh, and children that uh, interact in a way uh, that's godly and that's not a negative influence on your, your child without you knowing that. Right. Well, they, <clears throat> the children need to know that God loves them first. Huh. Uh, Christ loves the children. And they learn that in Sunday school, and, and uh, they hear that at home. So they know that Christ loves them. So it's a little easier to teach a child to love somebody that you know loves them. And so somewhere along the line, they've got to understand that Jesus Christ loves them regardless of what they do. And now when they understand that, then it's a little easier for them to be able to love Christ. And, and they, they see the love that Ruth Ann and I have for each other, that the, the love for the children, and so it's just sort of easy. All of our friends, wherever we've been, various places that I've coached, our friends have been church people. 
Now, we've had acquaintances, obviously, outside of the church, but the friends have been church people. So they've been immersed in that. They, they see how church people care a little differently. I have the privilege of talking to a lot of people who's just found out that their child is going to be have special needs. He's going to have some problems. So the first thing I always ask them, I say, do you have a church home? Uh, some do, some don't. I say, church people care differently than your neighbor. The neighbor of the people might cross the street, they may not care at all, but the church people care about you and, and, and your child. Uh, uh, Johnny loved to go to church. The church people were extremely kind and nice to Johnny. And so uh, if you don't have a church home, uh, you're way, way behind. And so that's the first thing I encourage you. And our children grew up in a church home, wherever we went. First thing we did was find a church that we wanted to be affiliated with. And so it was just sort of a natural process for them to, to fall in and, and love Jesus. I think we could give a number of different reasons or a number of different ways that we can teach our children to love God. So I'm just going to give one that, that I agree wholeheartedly with what both of you have said. I think that we need to let our children see the joy that we have in being a Christian. Uh, you know, the New Testament is full of joy scriptures. We even call Philippians prescription for joy a lot of different times because it has the word joy or rejoice mentioned so many times. If our children see that we truly have joy in our lives because we are God's child and how much we appreciate it, I think that helps our children want to do as we have done, and that's choose to follow him. Okay, yeah, yeah I just need to add a disclaimer um, about teaching the parenting classes. I wish I could say that all of, that our four sons are walking closely with the Lord and, you know, but they're not all doing that. And we made a ton of mistakes. And so, yes, we did teach parenting classes, but a whole lot of what we taught was don't do it the way we did it. Mm. We, we've learned a lot of lessons over time. Um, but I do agree, 1 John 4, 19 says we love him because he first loved us. And, and I think when we show our children by modeling, Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so. I think we have to teach our children what the Bible says about how much God loves us. The other component of that, I think, is, is to know who we are as fallen people. Because once we realize our sinful state without Christ, it does cause us to love him when we see what he's done for us and how he loves us in spite of ourselves. Um, I think this can help little children. They know their little conscience bothers them when they've done the wrong thing. Jesus loves you anyway. He will forgive you. Mm. Um, so teaching a child that, that how much he loves them is, is such a, a helpful thing in helping them to love him back. The thing that 
Gene said and that others have said too is that first first thing in teaching your children how to love Jesus is that he loves them unconditionally. And so a the guy on the video, he was saying his mama believed in him, but he also, he didn't say this, but it was very obvious that she was expressing love to him in a very special way. But my boys, and we've had these conversations <coughs> that, you know, when you blow it as a parent, especially as a daddy, then your kids need to understand that the, the, the reciprocal of me loving them unconditionally, no matter how sorry they acted at any given time, was that they needed to love me too. And it was all because of who Jesus was that he first loved us. We weren't looking for him. He loved us unconditionally. And so you want your kids to love the Lord? Let them, you be honest with them and don't put up a false face or a facade, but that God loves unconditionally and he, and he showed that love by Jesus dying for him, doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Okay, I want, let's move to the next question, and it's kind of a twofold. You know, as y'all seen through the years, and some of this comes from the information that I shared earlier, how do you instill the importance of church? And I don't mean that over a relationship with Christ, but how do you teach children that you can't separate Christ and his church? And so as a part of that, what role do you see the church playing in regards to our faith? Well, I don't, uh, you know, our children, a lot of times they sort of mimic what we do. And wherever we've been, church has always been important for us. We've always been to Sunday school. We've always gone to church. So the children sort of see that. And, and I know time is, is going to be catching up with us in just a minute. But we can sort of control the children while we have them. I worry about what happens to the child when they go, when they leave. And that's the reason I personally, Ruth and I, believe in Christian colleges. Uh, I made my living all my life in either state universities or professional football. But it came time for our children to go to college. I wanted them to go to a Christian college. I wanted them to have a Christian roommate. I wanted them to sit at the feet of Christian teachers because a lot of things goes on in this day and time at state universities that you'll just be appalled at what some of the things that are taught. That's not true at Christian schools. So Ruth and I made the decision that we wanted our children. So uh, we didn't obviously make them go, but we sort of uh, took them uh, when they were uh, freshmen, sophomores, and juniors in high school to Abilene to sing song and various things. So they sort of wanted to go there. I think that's extremely important. It's what happens to the child when they get out of your supervision. And so I'm a very strong believer in Christian colleges. Well, I think <clears throat> how you instill the importance of church for 
for one thing, I, I think we need to let our children see that it is a joy for us uh, as parents uh, that we uh, that they see in us that we draw closer to Christ when we're here, um, that um, we draw strength from each other uh, when we're here. Um, I think that's very important that when children and, and young adults even are with a body of believers, that they see us loving each other uh, each and every time we come together. And I do not think they need to see or hear uh, bickering or fighting amongst brothers and sisters. Hmm. One, of the, one of the things I believe is important for, as parents and grandparents toward kids, and, and it's a reality that every person that comes to a particular church gathering or whatever, uh, they're just sinners saved by grace. They're not going to do it all right. And to be honest about that is when we gather up that our, 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 our worship should be toward the Lord and our focus is not on somebody else, but it's on the Lord. And how you do that in singing corporately or giving or, you know, praising the Lord in, in uh, any way, that's real important. But it's got to be a true thing. It should really be reflective of your life 24-7, 365. And so you gather, and then the reflection of your life toward the Lord is what they would see. And that is a life changer. That will change folks because it's God who is at work in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, and it's not what we can conjure up. The influence of those around us is very important. So gathering up with believers, but... All churches don't have all believers. Some are just looking. And some don't want to be there. And some are there just because it's what you do on Sunday or whenever. So just we've got to be real about this thing, you know, or they're not going to see God as being vital and real in all circumstances today, whether you're a millennial or whether you're just an old person. <laughs> well, church has always been important to our family. That's the, besides coming together to receive encouragement from the word and from the music and from, uh, from just from one another, from the love we, that flows in between Christians. We share the common life of Christ. And when that's, uh, you know, that, that's so important to, to, to gather. Uh, you build lifelong friends with people who, who share who share your same faith in Christ. Um, you get equipped to go out and, and um, live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation <laughs> among whom we're to shine as lights in the world. We, we learn how to do that. That's one of the vital ministries of the church is to equip Christians on, on how to live, how to raise their kids, how to manage their finances, how to share their faith <coughs> in word and deed. So the church is... Uh, uh, it's God's plan. I want to be a part of it. 
Okay, we have one more question. Um, it's, it's already 7.30, but I want to go ahead and get to this question, and then we'll, we'll um, start bringing our time together to a close. Based on the reading of Deuteronomy 6, what does that look like today? How does that translate in today's language? In pressing things on our children and talking about it when they get up and along the road. What, what does that look like in today's language? I'm going to say that first because I believe it's important. And one of the most important things that a, that a parent has to know, <coughs> or a grandparent or whoever, it doesn't matter, is you can't give away what you don't have. And the only way you can have something is what God's Word says. In Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11, it says, How can a young man cleanse his way? And verse 11 says, By taking heed to God's Word. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. The installation of God's Word, first of all, in our own heart, and transfer that to <coughs> our children would be the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 6 in what the Lord told Moses to tell the children when you go in. He said, you got to teach them the word. When you walk down, when you walk, when you, whatever you're doing, it's got to be a life thing. It's not like a Sunday go to meeting thing. It's a life thing. It's, it's God's word instilled in your heart because you did it, you read it, you memorized it, you meditated on it. And then you're able to transmit that to your children. That's great. If you want to have good children, they need to want to please the parents. If they're going to do something and they say, now, if I do that, that will displease mother or that will displease daddy. And we take it a step further and they get a little older. It's what I'm doing. Does that please God? Now, if they can get to the point where they can make that decision, I won't do this because that will be displeasing to God. Just like when they were a little younger, if I do this, mother's going to be ashamed of me for doing it. So they don't do it. They get a little older. Now, it's not mother and daddy, but is it God that's going to be ashamed of me or am I going to be pleasing to God? So that, I think, is extremely important. See, what we're losing this day and time, we're losing respect. Mm. We're, we're losing respect in schools. We're losing respect in churches. We're losing respect in the country. Somewhere along the line, we've got to have respect. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that they, one of the questions was about do you have problems at church? We have never, Ruth Ann and I have never done anything except praise the preachers, the teachers, the elders, uh, whoever's in charge. They, our children have never heard us say anything bad about anybody associated, affiliated with the church. And if they don't hear that, then they think that, that, that everything is, is fine. And so I think that's extremely important, the way you act. Uh, uh, the way you talk about the elders, the way you talk about the ministers, the way you talk about song leaders and so forth. We need to be positive because those little ears hear things that mother and daddy say. And they, and, uh, uh, and <laughs> so anyway, I just want to get that in. Well, I don't think there's a, a lot I can say 
that Horace and Coach had already said. You know, it's just, uh, it's an every, everyday deal. I mean, from the time we get up to the time we go to bed, uh, Christ expects us to act in a certain way. And yes, we're going to fail. Uh, and our children need to know that we know we're going to fail. Uh, but that, you know, Christ is going to forgive us just like we forgive them uh, when they fail. Um, and I, I think, um, I just think that's very important. And I, I'll say it again, um, that they're surrounded on a daily basis. Uh, they're surrounded by the world uh, once they get in school. Once they go to public school, uh, they are surrounded by the world. Uh, so we have a bigger battle to fight because there's more negatives, there's more uh, unchristian, ungodly influences on them. So each and every time we have an opportunity to surround them with Christian people, Christian adults, Christian children, church camp. Uh, you know, I, I just think it needs to be a priority uh, for us as parents and as grandparents. Uh, if we have to sacrifice something uh, for them to be able to go to church camp. I think that's very important. Uh, if we don't have the money to send them and we have to swallow our pride and ask for help to make sure that they go, um, I think that's very important. Um, uh, I had a discussion with a gentleman uh, back a year or so ago, uh, his concern about uh, someone in his family who had not been baptized. And uh, my uh, discussion with him was that I thought uh, he needed to spend more time with Christian children. Uh, and that wasn't something theological that I came up with. I, I just think that's what God says. And um, about six months later, his grandson was baptized uh, after that kind of started taking place um, but uh, I just think we need to give our children every opportunity we can to be around positive Christian influences uh, because they're going to get the negative from the world mm -hmm. if you appreciate what these three couples have done tonight please let them know and tell them thank you and um I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. I actually have about three or four more questions that we were going to go over, but time uh, is getting to us. And so I love times like this, and I want us to do more of this. Uh, and some of those times I want them also to be interactive where, uh, where you can ask questions. And, um, but tonight, because of time, I wanted to, to kind of do the format this way. One of the phrases, and I want to leave this with you tonight to think about, that I love from that video was this. The greatest gift my mom gave to me, she believed in me. And I want to leave that with us as we think about faith and modeling our faith. Let's make sure that we are sending a message to our children and grandchildren. And y'all have done a great job with the stories and answers that you've provided tonight. Let's send that message that God believes in them and God loves them first. And we believe in them too. And we love them. When you do those two things, that's, that's hard to beat. 
but living that out daily is the challenge we face and so uh, i want to pray for us tonight on that behalf and then um, the evening is yours and y'all be safe let's pray father god we thank you for this day and father we thank you for our time together tonight father we thank you for times like this that we have had this evening to to talk about your word and from a practical standpoint to talk with each other about what faith looks like and what it looks like to live that out before you and before one another. Father, I thank you for Wayne and Becky and Jean and Ruthann and Horace and Sue, and I thank you for their families, and I praise your name, Father, for their godly example and what they mean not only to their family but to this church family. And Father, help us all as we are raising our children and grandchildren. Help us, Father, to do that in a way that you're pleased with. We give you all glory, honor, and praise. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. We are dismissed.